So as most of you know, um, Jamie and I, when, when, we, when we are able, we, we do a lot of, of sitting at the um, um, bar top in our home and, and, and talking with people over. Uh, last night it was uh, gumbo and uh, po'boys, except we didn't quite get the, the po'boys. We got po'boys on um, generic, nasty, healthy bread. And um, so, you know, that was cool. And uh, we, we sit across from, from people and uh, talk to them and, and listen to them and, and uh, share uh, conversations about real food with them. And, and, and over and over again in the scripture, Jesus is reclining at the table. He is sitting at the table. He is gathering at the table. On the last evening with his disciples, they went and had a meal, right? This is where Jesus gets intimate with folks. Now, when you're having a meal with someone, especially if you invite them to your home or they invite you to your home, you're generally, generally not looking for conflict. All right. You, you, you sometimes have to have those conversations. Those conversations are no fun. All right. And sometimes they happen over meals and sometimes they do not. Uh, maybe they can smooth it over a little bit. Um, but most of the time when you invite people over, it is not for confrontation. Your, your guests act like guests in the home, okay? I say that, hold, press pause on that. Guests come and it's generally about kindness and how to love and how to have a good time. All right, stop, put pause. Also, in, in most of our churches, in most of our places, we, we talk about um, happy Jesus, right? We talk about loving Jesus. We remind ourselves that the fruits of the Spirit of God are love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. And all of those things would be awesome if they would sit down at our table. If those things overflowed out of our guests and overflowed out of our gods, that would be awesome. If we could sit with that all the time, that'd be great and everybody would love it. Even better than that would be if all of God's children learned how to be completely fruitful and completely holy and live in the Spirit of God, that would be absolutely awesome. And we would all hold hands and we would all skip across the street and we would all sing Kumbaya and everything would be okay. And that's the kind of Jesus in church that we like. And we see a lot about that Jesus and preach a lot about that Jesus because nobody wants a mean Jesus. Nobody wants the Jesus in the temple with the cat of nine tails flipping tables and saying words that we probably actually don't think Jesus said, right? You don't want that. And Jesus would never, ever not be sweet baby Jesus, right, at the dinner table. Or would he? This morning, we're, we're going to have to take a good hard look at the um, not expected guest Jesus. We're going to look at a Jesus that has decided that because I love you, I cannot leave you where you are. How many of you have heard me say that in this church? You are welcome here, right? You are welcome here just as you are, but I can't leave you where you are. And all of you generally not approval. All of you generally would be able to tell your friends th that about this church. All of you generally are glad that your pastor feels that way. You're welcome, but I can't leave you there. The problem comes when I get ready to move you. 
Hi, I'm glad that you're here, but this is incorrect living. This is correct living. I need you to go from here to here, right? Now, I'm going to give you an example that's going to bother some of you, all right? Because we need, I, I honestly need you to feel the way the Pharisees felt. I'm going to say something that I know is going to bother you. I'm not saying it because it will bother you. I'm saying it's because it, it's a perfect example of what is going on, all right? This year, we are going on a marriage retreat, amen? All right, the last several years we've had between 20 and 24 couples go on our marriage retreat. That is awesome. This year we have eight signed up. Anybody want to take a guess why? It's not in Gatlinburg. This is me putting my foot down. I don't care. Because the retreat that I set up, that Cy works on, that Preston works on, that we put months into, isn't about a city or moonshine or what makes you happy. It's about your marriage. And we're moving to a place where marriages can get more time than moonshine. And I have no issues with that. If that upsets you, welcome to the move. Okay, Craig, I don't think that was very cool of you to say because I can't go because it's my dad's 50th wedding. You know that I know that I don't care. I'm not talking about that. I'm not, and you know it. That's why it makes you mad. That's why it made them mad too. I'm setting you up because I care about you. Jesus gets invited to a dinner. And what we think Jesus is going to do is go, hey, fellas, let me get to know you. Let, let's talk about what your likes and dislikes are. Let's talk about how we're supposed to go about this thing called church. One Sabbath, Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee. He was being carefully Watch. So Jesus has been invited and he's been asked to be a guest and they've asked him to be a guest so they can keep their eye on him. Now the plan is that Jesus just thinks that he's coming over for dinner and we're going to serve him very nice food because we're the Pharisees and we have money and we're going to make this all look good and we're going to look good in public because Jesus is at our house. But Jesus knows he's being watched so he knows there's an ulterior motive. So he smiles but his smile is not fake. It's just about what he going to do and not what they going to do. He got this smile on his face. What's up, fellas? Hey. Then in front of him was a man suffering from what they call dropsy. All right. Edema is what we call it now. Abnormal swelling of the body. When liquid seeps into the lower extremities and or finds itself around some of the organs in the body swells up. This man suffered from this disease. Jesus looked at the Pharisees and experts in the law. So he asked the law writers if something is lawful. Fellas, I got a question for you. Is it lawful to heal 
on the Sabbath or not? He knew the answer. They knew the answer. They remained silent. All right. Had I had forethought, and I didn't this time, how many of you seen the movie A Few Good Men? What a fantastic movie. Does anybody remember the scene with um, the, the young guy is being examined, all right? There's a young guy on the stand, and Tom Cruise is going at him, and he's like, hey, hey, they're talking about this thing called Code Red, right? It's like where you take matters into your own hands and discipline somebody. And Code Reds don't, don't exist. So he says, hey, do code reds exist? And the guy says, well, yeah, he has to. He's on the stand. And he says, hey, have, have, have you ever been given a code red? And he said, yeah. And he said, what for? I dropped my weapon. You dropped your weapon and what'd they do? They, they, they put a blanket over my head and every one of them took turns punching me in the arm. And then they put glue on my hands and I've never dropped my weapon again. It worked. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, amen. And then he says, well, has anybody ever given this guy, the guy who died, a code red? And he said, no. He said, why? Well, because the guy that's on trial for killing him would have kicked my butt, sir, is what he said. So Tom Cruise proves right there that the guy on the stand was protecting the guy that died. Not, not. So the cross-examiner comes up, right? The cross-examiner comes up and he says, here is the uh, handbook of the Marine Corps. All right, here's the handbook. Uh, turn to the page about Code Reds. Well, they're not in there. What do you mean they're not in there? Well, sir, they're, they're not in there. Well, how do I figure out about a code red? Well, I don't know, sir. Uh, we only do this at Guantanamo. But great, great. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Here is the handbook manual for instruction for the Marine Corps windward at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. Show me where code reds are. Well, sir, it's not in there. So there's nowhere that I can figure out how I'm supposed to do or act during a code red. He said, no, sir. And he says, I'm done. And he walks away and Tom Cruise walks back and grabs the book, throws it down on the thing. And he says, show me in there where the mess hall is. He says, it's not in there, sir. And Tom Cruise says, you telling me in all the years you've been in the army, you've never eaten? He said, no, sir, I've had three square meals a day. He said, well, how do you know where to eat? Follow, the, follow the, the crew at chow time. It's beautiful cross-examination, right? He knew, they knew, and you got this moment where, okay, this is all I could think about right in here, all right? They know if they open their mouth, they're up a creek. They know if they say the wrong thing, they're up a creek. This is why Jesus is grinning goofy, all right? So taking hold of the man, <laughs> did you order the coat? <laughs> taking hold of the man, all right, he healed him and sent him on his way, all right? So Jesus doesn't say a word. He knows what the law says, but he heals him and sends him on his way. Then he said, if one of you has a child or an ox, that falls into the well on the Sabbath. Are you going to pull him out or leave him there? And they had nothing to say. You can't handle the truth. Did you hear me? We all want the truth until the truth makes us look bad. We all want the truth until the truth goes against something that we don't want. 
And the Pharisees wanted to be the high and mighty. The Pharisees wanted to be in leadership. The Pharisees had worked all of their lives. And Jesus had been making them look bad. So now they're trying to trick him. Some people even suggest that they had the man staged there to see what Jesus would do. But you can't fool Jesus. So Jesus didn't talk about it or ask if it was good. He simply said, do y'all think it's legal? I don't really care what you think. Be healed, little brother. Don't care what day it is. And he healed him, and they were not happy. And Jesus said, I don't know why you're not happy. You all be saving an ox today if it fell in the water. But this man over here, he ain't worth what an ox is worth. Hmm, not sure I like your religion. Jesus is immediately confrontational. And I got to ask you a question, church. Do you love that, Jesus? Oh, God, oh, God, I need you. Just don't ask anything of me. Don't ask anything of me. Yeah. As long as I get my way, I won't make you take the highway. Come on. Isn't that the way, is that the way you feel? Maybe that's the way you feel today because, you know, we're all happy feeling. But when God starts to confront you in your house, at your table, when Tim, when Cy, when Preston, when I start to confront you, is it all well and good? You worship a Jesus who confronts. And that ain't my thing. That's a Bible thing. The question is why? Why? Why this confrontation? You want to know? Well, we got three parts. Part one, Jesus confronts hypocrisy. Jesus is confronting the hypocrisy of these guys' laws as opposed to their actions. You say you love people. You say you love the Lord. You say you love the law. But you will use the law for your benefit at the expense of everyone else. You, sir, you, ma'am, are a hypocrite. Why does God confront hypocrisy? Revelation chapter 3. These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness. I know your deeds. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other, but because you are lukewarm, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are poor, pitiful, wretched, blind, and naked. I counsel you, buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may, you may have wealth, salve to cover your eyes so that you may see. Come on. Why does Jesus do that? Because here's what Jesus knows. A loving God knows that every Jesus-loving hypocrite turns away thousands of people who won't love Jesus because of it. Jesus says, I can't have you halfway. I need you to not acknowledge me at all or to go all in. Everything in between costs lives. So Jesus confronts hypocrisy. Why? These were the Jesus believers and everybody hated them. You want that to be us? Do you want that to be us? Then you have a loving God who confronts. 
takes on the Pharisees first, but Jesus is feeling frisky. Now that's not in the scripture, that's just from me, take that or leave it. But Jesus is feeling frisky about himself right now. So he goes, hey, he noticed some guests. Uh-oh, it's like nobody's safe today in this particular house. When he noticed the guests packed in the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you, oh, it didn't move. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come to you and say... Give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who are there. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and all who humble themselves will be exhausted. Jesus, exalted. Jesus confronts, exhausted, no kidding, the sin of pride. Why? Because pride cometh before the fall. And Jesus is trying to help you not fall. And confronting their pride was the way to do it. Here's what he said. He said, I'm looking around here at all these people. And I'm watching as you come in, each of you fight for a seat closer to the head of the house. The closer you were to the head of the household seat, the more honored you were as a guest. But it is way better, all right, way better for you to choose a seat far away and then have the host go, no, Cassandra, not there, come up here, sit closer to me than it is for you to take a seat next to him and then go, hey, Rick, I'm going to have to move you down because that's Cassandra's seat. Not only are you prideful, you're now prideful and humiliated. And that is not the kind of humble God wants you to be. There's a difference between humble and humiliated. So Jesus confronts the sin of pride. And he's not just coming after the Pharisees in this. And we all always do that. You know, woe to you, it's always about the Pharisees and the tax collectors, the bad guys. But no. He's talking to the guests, and it doesn't stop there. <laughs> I told you he was feeling frisky. Look, then Jesus said to the... Ruh-roh. Now, I, I got to tell you, I, I'm, I'm just owning this. If I had worked, y'all know this about me. If I worked for two, three, four hours on a meal, right? I cook the meal, I clean the meal. Somebody says, hey, we're going to be there at 6. No problem. No problem. I'm going to have that meal hot and ready at about 6.15, 6.20. All right? If you call ahead, no problem. Sometimes I can slow it down. Sometimes I can't. If it's, if it's a roast and it's already been in, I, I can't unroast it, right? But I do what I can because one of my pet peeves is I don't slave all day so you can eat cold food, right? So as the host, I... I I probably don't control my desire for that to happen as well as I should. That's a confession, right? But as the host, you expect some respect. You expect some acknowledgement. You, you did a good job. I'm my biggest critic on food, so that doesn't matter to me. All right? I just want everybody to enjoy. Well, this host is like, I have done this. I have invited people. I have worked hard, or my wife has worked hard. Somebody's worked hard all day to make this happen. I've opened my home. But Jesus goes, no, you too. I took care of you, I took care of you, and now I got to take care of you, all right? When you give a lunch or a dinner, 
do not invite your friends or your brothers or your sisters or your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you so that you will be repaid. Y'all catch it? Hey, why, why did you invite the mayor over today? Why did you invite the sheriff over today? Why did you invite uh, somebody running for this office or that office over today? Why did you invite your boss over today? Were you, were you just wanting to be kind and repay him? There is some of that. But did you want to get an edge? Did you want to get an invite? Did you invite the people with more money over to your house so that they would invite you over to their mansion? I mean house. All right. What is the motive behind your love for people? When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And you will be blessed. Though they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. There is great gain coming. It just looks nothing like you think. You know what Jesus is confronting here? Using people versus loving people. We do a lot of things in this life in the name of loving our neighbor as ourself that are simply done to get us somewhere else on the ladder. They're simply done to make sure that when we need to call in a favor we have some earthly means by doing it. Can I ask you a question? If God is on your side and all things work together for the good and he wants to love you and bless you and honor you and you are walking completely in his will and in his way, is there any reason for you to ever need a favor from man when you can be in the favor of God? Jesus confronts the hypocrisy. Jesus confronts the Pride. And then Jesus confronts the people. How you really treat people. And he's digging down into your ulterior, is that the right word? Your ulterior motives. Now here's what happens. These Pharisees, these tax collectors, these guests... And this host, they ain't happy, but they now have a choice. I'm going to stop here because next week is actually the end. And remember, he uses banquet, banquet, banquet every time. Everything he does in this three sections is while he's sitting at a dinner talking about what to do at a dinner. He's flipping etiquette upside down and teaching people not about food for the body, but teaching people about food for the soul. He's teaching them what real love looks like. Same book of the Revelation that I just quoted ends with, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Some of the best parenting advice I can give from the stage is right there. Next week, Jesus tells a story about why people act the way they act when this happens. The next part of the story is, what is the response of people when they are confronted with church? 
instead of coddled by the church. Mm, I didn't know it was going to come out that way, but I like that. What is the response of the church when they are confronted instead of coddled? Next week gives us the answer. You may know the answer before you get out of this room today. Is the Holy Spirit impressing on you? Has the preacher hit a nerve? Has the scripture caused some conviction? How will you respond? Do you believe that I love you? Do you believe that I want what's best for you? And whether you do or not is really irrelevant. Do you believe that Jesus loves you and wants what's best for you? Your job is to pray for me, encourage me, come at me, especially if you're an elder with, hey, you can't do that because we want you to be better and accept that and get better. And my job is to do that for you. Well, Craig, I'm, you know, 20 years older than you and 20 years more of a Christian than you. And to be honest with you, I don't, I don't need your opinion. Find another church. Find another church. Jesus said it best, man. I'd rather have 12 people who are all in and all with me than 500 people who follow me around. And it took him till after he died to get them where they needed to be. <laughs> Yay! I love you. We'll be confronted with our own choices next week. Till then, let Jesus confront you a little bit. It'll only make you better. Let's pray. God, you know my heart and you know my thoughts and you know that there will never be a day that those thoughts and those words are completely in line with you. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and I feel regularly like Paul and I am the chief of sinners. God, I don't want my malice. I don't want my pain. I don't want my exhaustion. I don't want my fears. I don't want money or power to, to drive anything that I do. And it's a, a daily struggle for preachers and pastors across the country, for children's ministers and worship leaders across the country to be humble in a way that is godly and, and, and powerful in a way that is yours and, and, and confident in a way that expresses leadership and, and, and patient in a way that is only of you. But God, since the beginning, you know, you're still, you're still working. We are, we are a work in progress. So my prayer is that all of us continue the grind, continue to be on the anvil, continue to let the master sharpen us, continue to let the master shape us, continue to be the clay and, and let you mold us and make us after your will while we are waiting, yielded and still. It's just that most of us have so many plans, most of us have so many things that yielded and still is just not possible. Sometimes you still us. Sometimes you stop us in our tracks and say, hey, I, I've been trying to whisper. Now I'm screaming. And we need to take heed. My prayer is that the people in this room take heed and that we are mightier 
in you, that we are uh, glorified for your glory, that we are lifted up so that you are lifted up, that, 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 that all things do work for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose, which brings glory to you. A passionate, loving, perfect father who also confronts when necessary because he loves, because he lives. In Jesus' name, amen.